here's the thing about where I, where I have been going with this message, heavenly, right? First off, I'm super excited because of what God's showing me, and I want so much to give it to you. And so last week, I taught this message, Heavenly Places, and today, the Lord's like, you're going to do part two. I'm like, but I really want to do heavenly worship, and it was like just so far over all of our heads, and people weren't understanding. I thought, I felt, but if you go back and listen to the first service last week, it was really awesome. And some of you are like, well, the second service wasn't that bad. God always covers it and has grace for me, and he loves my heart, and he knows my heart's pure. The problem is when people are visiting for the very first time, they're like heavenly places and I'm sweating and I can't get my train of thought. God does that sometimes. Look, you know how many messages I'll preach in a year on average? Think about how many Sundays they are, there are, right? So I really do mean it when I say thank you. Thank you for your love and your care for this house and this church. Please go back and listen to last week's message because today there's a whole section and component of heavenly places that I didn't even get to that God says, I want you to talk about it this week. Okay, so in order for you to really fully understand where I'm going this week, please go back and listen to last week. Take notes, write it down, meditate on it because it's a word that God is giving to this house for this season at this time. And what's often funny is a lot of times when I get a word like this, I'll go listen to some of my favorite ministers and they are getting the same words too on the other side of the country or around the world. So God is pouring out his spirit on the body of Christ all over the world. There's a remnant and God's wanting to take us all up higher. Okay, so today I'm gonna have you repeat a lot so we can interact. Say, Lord, lift my vision higher so that I can see accurately. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to finally see for the first time what I've been looking at the entire time. So God wants to lift the lid so that we can start to see and understand. There's a lot of things that we don't understand on earth, like Uvalde, right? I mean, that was a, a, such a horrible, horrible tragedy. And at the first service, we all prayed together as a church. This service, I was up there getting lost in worship. But we prayed as a family on Wednesday. We had prayer every Sunday here for an hour. We prayed over Uvalde and we cried and we wept. And I still cry and I still weep over that tragedy. But because I have higher vision and I understand eternity and I understand what's happening in heaven, I can see the children and I can see those that have that lost their lives and have gone on before us sitting with Jesus dancing with their arm, with his arms wrapped around them. I can see them sitting under the throne, the martyrs, those that have lost their lives and gone before us, looking down over earth going, Jesus, is it time? When will the justice prevail on earth for those that have gone and lost their lives as martyrs? This is the fifth seal around the throne. Some of you don't know it and understand it. But they're peering over the gates of heaven, looking at Jesus, and he goes, it's not time yet. And then I'm reminded of Acts chapter 1, which we're going to talk about the heavenly gift next week. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples are like, man, Jesus says, go wait. So right now, the disciples in history are praying in the upper room, working out their issues through prayer. They all had plenty of issues. But God says, go pray for 10 days. That'll work it out of you. So they're getting unified by the Holy Spirit. They were all in one accord. And then the Holy Spirit's going to drop prophetic promise. And the, the heavenly gift, which we'll talk about next week, comes down on Pentecost. Okay? And so Jesus is like, go pray. And they're like, oh, we're going to pray because we certainly believe this is going to be the time you're going to bring justice and set all things in order. He goes, no, it's not. It's not time for you to, it's not for you to know the time. What it's for you to know is that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's power for a purpose. Let's say that it's power for a purpose, for a promise. And it comes from a position. So when you're positioned with the Lord, and we're going to talk about this position a little bit more today, what you obtain there, you bring here. And there's two incredible things that you get there that I didn't hit last week that you have to know about consistently that's so practical. It's grace and mercy. There's a throne and there's a seat and it's called the mercy seat. And because someone went before you and passed through the heavenlies and shed his blood on the seat, which was the final sin offering, which was a fulfillment of the type and shadow of the Old Testament high priest, 
Now, because we have a high priest that went there, we can go there. And God actually says, come boldly, not sheepishly, not like, oh man, I'm so, he's like, yeah, I know you're jacked up. That's why my son died and shed his blood. Now you can come boldly because of the blood and the sacrifice because you're not condemned. But you have to surrender all to Jesus and you can only get there by one man. Not a psychic, not a tarot card reader, no crystals, no new age, no, no fortune telling, no, no self-help books. There's no way to get to the third heaven, but you can get to the second heaven. And that's where they're dwelling. They're getting their information from the second heaven. People say, how does, man, I went to the psychic, how do they know? Well, they have information, not revelation. Just as God assigns angels to your life, the devil assigns demons to your life, and they've got a network of understanding. Oh, so man, I went to the psychic and he told me about this old gravel road and this old brick house that I grew up in in the country, I can't believe. It's like, that's not new information. You think the devil doesn't have a plan to be with you, but he's ruling from this second heaven atmosphere that sees and has this principality and organized structure that God says you have authority over. Why? Because there's a third heaven, which means you can go to the above it, but you only get there through one man. Now, some of you are going to say, well, how does this apply to me? I'm just struggling with addiction. I'm struggling with having sex. I'm struggling with my flesh. I'm struggling with the things. That's the point. The point is that Jesus passed through to make a final sacrifice for you so that now you can come out of that because you're no longer condemned when you surrender all. Now you become dead to sin because of the blood, because of a seat called the mercy seat. And it is seated somewhere there. And when you go there, it comes back into here. Now I have a seat of mercy inside of me. If you have little children and you don't get the mercy seat inside of you, mark my words, you will spin out. Kids just have a way. (laughs) Come on, let's not pretend. I got three under 10. I blow gaskets if I, I would blow gaskets if I didn't have a mercy seat. Because there's a mercy seat in my heart. Because there's grace in my heart. Because there's the Father's heart. The Heavenly Father's heart. What I display, I give them what they don't deserve. Just like God gives to you. Whom God shows mercy, He gives mercy. You understand? So think about in the Old Testament. What do we have for idol worship? Where did they worship idols? In the high places. If you grew up Catholic, you sang about portals. Portals and high places are in the Bible. In Genesis 28, there's Jacob laying on a rock, going to find his way, find his path, heads out from the homeland. He sits down, sun's going down, puts a rock under his head, all a prophetic picture of laying your head on the rock. And when you lay your head on the rock, you'll dream and see visions and bam, he has a dream of a ladder going from earth to heaven and he sees angels ascending and descending. And he says, surely... Surely, in Genesis 28, the presence of God is in this. This is none other than the house of God. Was there any walls, any roof? No, but instead he stacked up some little rocks and poured some oil on it. And he called the place Bethel. And he said, this is the house of God because the house of God is not made by hands. And then he hears God speak to him from above the ladder. This is way better. This is not even close to the stairway to heaven Led Zeppelin song. That's demonic. That's the dark side of wisdom. That's second heaven. And y'all love that. I can't even listen to that song anymore. I know, so pretty. Hey, calm down, killer. You need, you, God will do it. You'll see. You'll see. Lay it down, bro. Lay it down. Here's the thing. If the lid doesn't get lifted, you're like, oh, yeah, Hotel California. If you knew what that song was really about, you would be shutting it off real fast. Second heaven. Second heaven revelation. Using the gifts of man that came from God. That's the same psychics, musicians, gift from God used from the second heaven realm. So we build altars and idols on the high places. Why? Because the higher up I get, the closer I get to the second heaven. The Tower of Babel. 
Come on, guys. I'm going to bring this down home today. The Tower of Babel. We can be like God, second heaven. So God brings confusion. Now God, re, God resolves the issue through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When man in his own strength tried to go to the second heaven to have access to be like God, God brought confusion. Now through prayer and humility and brokenness and unity in one accord, God says, I'll pour my spirit out and through different languages, I'll unify you. Now through a heavenly prayer language and tongues of fire and a sound of wind, God brings unity. Next week, we'll talk about that. Yeah, seven days. So they're in prayer right now. And so these high places and these portals, Jacob would say, this is the gate of heaven. What I want you to understand is there's heavenly realms and there's heavenly places. That's why I've been teaching you. Look, God wants you to be so heavenly minded so that you can be extraordinarily good or do good on earth. But some of you are so extraordinarily earthly minded, you have no good access and understanding to the heavenly reality. All you can see is the earth. And so with Uvalde and what happened there and the destruction and the hatred, I already know it's the devil's agenda to bring the hearts of man to be cold. We cry, we weep, and we may not have the full understanding. But once you, you and I have to say this because, again, Jim Morrison, through LSD and drugs and his gift, literally literally was tapping in to the other side, but it was only second heaven. Break on through to the other side, but he never could, would or could have broken through to the third heaven. You only get there through one man in the blood. And when you come to the blood, you have, you get access to so many things, but the most important thing, listen to me, if you stay focused on grace, mercy, and exceeding riches of his loving kindness, not this incredible thing about me, how super spiritual I am, how revelatory I am, how super seer I am. God wants you to see, but what do you do with what you see? Okay? So I'm genuinely, genuinely believing God wants to flip the narrative of this church. This church has a high calling. But you do too. It's us. When I say church, it's us. And those of you watching online, God doesn't want you so enamored and consumed. Literally, Jesus would have to pass through the heavens to give us authority. Nothing could withstand him. Nothing could withstand him. And if nothing can withstand him, then genuinely nothing can withstand you. If God is for you, it doesn't matter what you say, what you do, or what the situation is. God's for me. He's not the issue. God is not the issue, folks. And everybody wants to blame God and this division and hatred. You can't see the devil's agenda to bring the hearts of men to be cold in these last days. So we prayed genuine fire and provision and life and countenance and healing that where there was death, there would become revival and that people and the parents could understand you'll live longer in eternity than you will now. And those children are with God. Now they're healed in eternity and we don't have the full understanding. We're limited to a certain degree here. But one day you're going to go, now now I understand. God always showed me early on, you know how many funerals I've done for teenagers? More than I want to tell you. As a pastor, part of my job description is funerals. No matter who it is, babies, children, and you got to stand there and bring some sort of healing and comfort to the hearts of people's lives. And God said, if you could only see what I see and what they're seeing now. It's a place of no more pain. It's a place of no more tears. It's a place of no more death. It's a place of purity and joy and wonder and delight and extravagance. It's a place beyond our wildest imagination. And we will live longer there than you will live here. It's your ultimate home. So why are you so consumed? You should just be passing through. Have a pass-through mindset. You know what happens when you're so consumed with the affairs of the world? You start to have an affair with the world. And we're, we're having affairs. That's why God says friendship with the, with the world is enmity or hatred towards God. It doesn't mean we don't love it, but we die for it. 
and our, we have a calling commission to save it and rescue it. But if you're hooked into friendship with the world, you're literally living with hatred towards God and you don't even know it. You need God to lift the lid. So you can really see. That's finally seeing. You have to be very careful. The world is, our nation is more polarized and divided. Everybody say, tag, I'm it. If you have any issue with me being involved in politics or you getting involved in politics as a Christian, you're in the wrong church. This just solidifies my point. I'm in worship. And God says, are you willing to go all the way? I said, I don't know. This is the first service. I'm crying. The altar crying. You know, are you willing to go? I said, I don't know, Lord. I don't know if I can. I don't know. What does that mean? Because I'm not sure what that looks like. And then I said, but yes. Because my first thought is, man, what does all the way really look like? Paul has his third heaven vision while being stoned and beaten, left for dead outside of the city. I said, God, I want to see. He says, you have no idea what you'll go through to see. And I said, man, I don't know. Do I want to be a nice, comfy, utopia, American, religious, westernized Christian and just be look good and sound good and have a big church on the video and live stream and great one-liners and all these great messages? Or am I willing to die for a nation? How radical will we become? How radical will you become? Every teenager and every young adult. How radical will you raise your kids? The American dream's long dead, folks. The American dream's not God's dream. I don't need more things to do, but I show up at ethics commissions and city council meetings and I pray and I make it a point to go pray for the mayor and I make it a point to stand up for those that will lead. And I'm telling you, we have to fight for city council members, superintendents, school boards, because they're the ones that are the gatekeepers. And God says, influence the gatekeepers, bring life to them. This isn't about being just another patriot political talking head. This is fighting for your children. And I'm gonna tell you right now, when those, those police officers, listen to me, we need officers and people in government and first responders that are spirit-led. Yes. That says, no, I'm not going to stand out this door for an hour. I will kick the door down and charge in that door. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, listen to me. You say, what was the problem? An absence of Jesus. Yes. You say, well, they should have known. Okay. What was the problem? An absence of Jesus. Mark my words. You can't lead properly, love properly, lead a nation, lead a city, lead a county. I'll say it to every politician watching online. I love you. I care about you. Give your life to Jesus so you can lead from the heart of God and actually do what you were elected to do. Oh, man. People, every time I talk about politics in church, people are like, man, I came to church. Especially, you know who the ones complain the most? Really? It's the ones that aren't doing anything. It's the, the addicts and the hurting and all they're thinking about, and I get it, is their next piece of bread or getting delivered. And I preach on that all the time. But what if we set standards in place so that we can help you on a better level? Yes. You can't not. You can't not. All right, I'll move on from that topic. I don't, but actually, I won't move on from that topic. I, <laughs> listen, follow me. Don't disengage. Go to the scripture in Matthew 16. Jesus says, I give you keys. Okay? Jesus is a key keeper. Say this. Say, he's the keeper of the keys. Okay? And Jesus says, behold, I give you keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. It's Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. So Jesus has all these keys. Now I want you to picture a connect the dots. But don't picture like a little lion or a tiger or a little clown. Picture a coloring sheet of connect the dots that is so intense and detailed, you have no idea what the picture is. Yeah. 
And Google it. Google complex connected dots. You'll see thousands of them. And you have no idea what the picture is. Now, I want you to picture every one of those connected dots as a key. And every time God connects a dot, he gives you a key. The Bible, you, here's the thing. Keys will open doors, but you will have no idea how to use the key if you don't get the instruction from the word. You're like, oh God, I don't know what to do. Give me the key. Get in the Bible so you know how to use the keys that God gives you. So he gives you keys with power. But that power only comes from position. And God gives you understanding from his word. So this book is one big giant key. And inside of it is a plethora of keys. And God gives you keys and insight and wisdom that gives you access to shift heaven and earth. But if you don't get disciplined to get in God's word and understand the power and how to use the word and understand the man and understand your access, then you have all these keys and no idea to, what to do with them. You're just walking around with a bunch of jangling keys on your side. But imagine when you start to use the keys that God gives you. Imagine when you understand the power to bind and loose. Imagine when you understand that you're a head and not a tail. And when you're doing it out of love and care and mercy and grace and humility and brokenness and falling down to your feet and crying to God and crying out to him and God says, keys, keys, dot, 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 dot. The problem is some of you are just dying to see the picture instead of going in the process of drawing your lines and letting God connect. Show me the picture, God, show me the picture. God's not about the result. I'm sorry, God's not about the end. He's about the process to the end. Otherwise, you get born again. It's just whack you now. Oh, let's just get you to heaven. Are you saved now? You saved? Okay, we're just going to take you home. It doesn't work like that. Instead, God says, you have power for a purpose. No, it's not time. Get filled with the Holy Spirit and do something with what God's given you. While the devil comes along to get you distracted and sidetracked with your flesh, and then you feel shame, and then you don't feel like you have access, so you don't even go to the throne because you're so full of shame. And God says, screw your shame. I shed the blood of Jesus for you. You have access to the throne. Get to the throne. I just got to say what I got to say. Got to say what I got to say. Listen, the key of David is now the keys of Jesus given to you. You just have no idea about keys. You don't know how to use them. You don't know where they came from and what they're keys for. There's a key that says no condemnation. There's a key that says no shame. There's a key that says covered in the blood. There's a key that says justified. It's the justified key. There's a key that says redeemed. There's a key that says propitiated. There's a key that says throne. There's a key that says mercy seat. There's a key that says deliverance. There's so many spiritual blessings and keys. And instead of trying to figure them all out, just break. David got a key through brokenness, yes. not perfection. Yes. Yes. The, the disciples that were sent out in Luke, 10, Luke 9 and 10, you think they had issues? God is saying, man, when you get it all cleaned up and figured out, I'll use you to cast out demons and lay hands on the sick. No, God says, start casting out demons and laying hands on the sick and let me show you who I really am so that you can realize you're dead to sin and there's so much greater over here. When once I thought I could shoot lightning bolts out of my fingertips tripping on acid at a Grateful Dead concert, now I'm staring at a man who's got eyes, fire in his eyes. And it's real. That was a counterfeit. This is real. That was fake, uh, solicited through hallucinogenics. This is a real man that's been gazing at fire in a heaven and shows up with feet like brass and hair like bronze and a countenance like lightning. That was fake lightning. He's real lightning. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't a counterfeit. This is real. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you keys. The keys of the kingdom I give to you. And sometimes... You have all these keys, but he teaches you how to use them one at a time, or he gives you one key at a time, and he gives you just what you need for today, because godliness with contentment is great gain. And you say, God, give me, give me all the keys. I gave them to you, but I'm going to teach you how to use them as you mature. That's the mindset of what I taught you last week by reason of full use in Hebrews chapter 5. 
And in Hebrews chapter five, I'm trying to explain to you, look at verse 11, Hebrews 5, 11. The apostle Paul's like, yeah, well, we don't know for sure it's apostle Paul. It's the writer of Hebrews could have been, probably was. He says, look, he's like, man, I have to tell you so many things, but they're so hard to explain to you. Why? Because we get dull of hearing. How much church have y'all been to? How many sermons have you heard? Podcasts, YouTube. And then over time we get dull of hearing. And it's like, God wants to show you more, but you're dumbed down and numbed out because you have no hunger, thirst. That's why God says, blessed are those that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness sake. Now I'm not out to beat you up. Let's just say I'm not talking about you. I'm only talking about those online. Okay, maybe not you, somebody else somewhere. I don't know what it is. But what in the world? It's like we get so dull of hearing. It's like, man, I don't hear. It's like that was so over my head. You know what? That's okay. Let it be over your head. Take notes. Listen. One day God will show it to you. I'm teaching on things I've been hearing about for 25 years that I knew nothing about. But I heard it. So these are difficult things to explain. Probably why last week I started sweating and I felt iced out and was like, man, I'm trying to explain. And people leave. It's like, man, what in the world is that pastor talking about? Well, I'm going to try to make it simple for you today. Simpler. Maybe not, but I'll try. (laughs) Look, listen, let me just tell you real quick about some keys. The keeper, the key keeper has the power to use the keys. To, To do what? What's the purpose of the keys? The purpose of the key in David was to open what no man could open and shut what no man could shut. So it's this power that's been given to the key keeper to shut doors and open doors for a purpose. Now you're gonna have to find out your own purpose with the keys and God gives a lot of wisdom. I'm learning, I'm growing and so are you. The key keeper can open or obstruct in the natural, in the spirit or in our hearts. Think about Elijah, 1 Kings 17. Man, Ahab, Jezebel, this is like the land is bad. I, I mean, I feel like it's about as bad as it was then. How about you? So Elijah gets this key. He's like, drought. There's going to be no rain. He gets the key. He calls for no rain. He calls for a drought, which then combusts the the kingdom and somewhat combusts him. Because one minute he's calling fire down and he's got the key. And next minute he's like depressed. Kill me now. I'm alone. Fire. Here comes Jezebel. Run for my life. Um, there's no one. God just take me out. And God's like, yeah, there's 8,000 you didn't even know about. Because when you think you have the full picture, you don't. So you just stay broken in trust and be obedient to what God tells you to do. Yeah. And the last thing you do is, is try to do something that you're not sure about if God's not leading you. And remember, some of you guys are getting so revelatory, but if it's not biblical, legal, moral, and ethical, don't do it. And that's the problem. So the more re- revelatory you get and the more you start living in that place, you, some people just combust and go sideways. So most pastors don't teach about it, talk about it, or encourage you to be that way. Let's just keep you nice Christians and earthly. But what if you all flamed on properly with health and character and understood the word and humility and love and could be normal? And now, because no, normal to me is not earth, it's heaven. Yes. Love right, live right, care right. We stop doing the things that we know are not according to God's design at all costs, no matter what it takes. Rich young ruler shows up. I've done it all. What must I do more? Jesus is like, sell it all. And he's like, "Uh, sorry. And I I imagine that if he would have said, okay, whatever it takes, Jesus would have been like, but you know, now that you said yes, why don't you keep some of it and bring it along the way or sell some of it and let's use it for the purposes of the kingdom. I don't know what it was going to be, but the point is, is it was a test. So God gives us all these keys. God gave Elijah a key, calls a drought, calls fire, powerful. God, he's starving too. Ravens are feeding him by the brook. Brook dries up. God says, go to the widow's house because God's been watching this widow. And God says, I'm gonna use the drought to transform the widow's life. This is gonna be awesome. Go to the widow, she'll feed you. So he shows up in the city and at the gates, there she is getting sticks. Elijah's like, hey, I need a drink of water. So she's like, okay, goes to get him a drink of water. And then he's like, oh, by the way, while you're at it, I need some food, I'm starving. Paraphrasing, you can go read it. And so she's like, listen, I only got a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. 
and my son and I are about to go eat it and we're gonna die. This is it, we're dead. He's like, yeah, no, that's not gonna be the case. God gives Elijah a word, he stands on it. God's word is the key. When God gives you a promise, you stand on it. But it needs to align with God's word so you don't get goofy and go off the tracks. Accountability, unity, advisors. I've seen more revelatory people get alone and isolated and picked off by the devil because they got these words and they didn't know what to do with it. And then they went and did something illegal, immoral, unethical, or unbiblical. They were isolated, they were alone, and they were picked off by the devil. That's why God needs a house like this, a family like this. Yeah, we got issues, but God's working all that out. We're a beautiful mess too. We're like Bethlehem. And you're the messy animals in the manger. All right, I am too. Look, we're all in the process. Does that make you feel better? So what, what happens? Elijah gives a word. He says, look, the oil and the flour will not dry up until it rains. Key. The truth is always the key. The difference between what is a lie must be closed versus what is true, that must be opened. Lies closed, truth open. Lies closed, truth open. Some of the greatest power that you're given is to shut lies and deception down and open truth. But the first key is to open the truth of your heart. What lies are hiding in you that you don't know about? Let them out. But let them out to God first. Okay, think about Psalm 73. The chief musician says, look at the world. They got it better than I do. They're rich, wealthy, and lay claim to God. But here I am suffering, and I've come to God in vain. Have you ever felt like you come to God in vain? A lot of people do. But then he says, if I would have said it, I would have been unfaithful to a whole generation. So he took it to God. God dealt with him, and then he understood when God did something in him. That's why you have to be careful what you say. Deal with the issues in your heart. The next thing is, is God doesn't even let you out past your mouth because he says, if you even look at a woman lustfully or a man lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. It's a heart issue. So God wants to pull back the layers of your heart. All those people you don't like, God wants to deal with you on that. So you can show perfect love and accurately represent him in what you say. And sometimes you need to just not say it. But many of you aren't saying it, but you're thinking it And that's what God dealt with me. He said, oh, you think you got it all together? Let me just pull back the veil of your heart and show you just how much deception, darkness, and anxiety, and fear and protections inside of you. And then I cried for seven hours. And then now I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. Open, open, open. And in some cases, I'm to say it. In some cases, I'm not to say it because now I have a bit in my mouth and I'm bridled. You need a bit in your mouth and to be bridled. So y'all are like wild Mustangs. God's like, yeah, I, wild Mustangs didn't pull in my chariot. I need broke meat and fit Mustangs for the master's use, he says. We're having fun today. Shaka Baba. You can always count when there's a really bad one, there'll be a good one. But let's not believe when there's a really good one, there's a bad one. How's that? So Jesus says in Revelation 1.18, now let me just tell you this story real quick. In Revelation 1, here comes Jesus, eyes of fire, hair like wool, feet like bronze, countenance like lightning. You know what happened to John when Jesus showed up like that? He fell down dead. That's the best fall down dead I could do for you. Okay? He fell down dead, Right? Well, he wasn't really dead, but read it. He's like, I was like a dead person. Because when Jesus shows up, that's about what you're going to do. That's why you don't get to determine what happens when God shows up. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to worship like that. I'm not going to do this. It's like, oh, yeah, you will, because the greatest access is not through the power of your weapon. It's the power through the spiritual weapon of brokenness and humility. God will give keys to the nations and ultimately bring redemption through his lineage with a son named Jesus. Now imagine what we're going to pass down in our family line. Jesus is going to be birthed through your family line. And now through brokenness and humility and prayer and crying out and worship and the things that the world calls foolish, which make sure you never do, 
And don't be afraid to be a fool. In fact, be more of a fool. Imitate me as I imitate him. Crying, laughing, falling, worship, whatever it takes. Dancing. I don't care what you do. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. But don't, you don't get to determine what you're going to do. It's like, uh, I'm only going to do that. I won't do that. And some of y'all, that's a, a huge place of contention inside of you. Because you have determined based on your personality, based on your style, and based on your preference of what you will and won't do. Fall on the rock, lest the rock fall on you. (laughs) Revelation 1.18. So he's laying down dead. Pretend that Jeremy's dead right now. He's just seen Jesus. (laughs) Here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. He puts his hand on John's shoulder and he says this, I'm he who lives and was dead and behold, I live forevermore. Of all the things Jesus could say, he says this, I'm alive, I was once dead, I live forever, I'm always here, I'm always there, you don't ever have to be afraid. And by the way, I have these keys. Keys to what? Hades and of death. And so you'd say, well, it sure didn't seem like God had the key. He does have the key. He determines, and we may not always understand, but I'm telling you, the bigger key is being subject to the fear of death because the freedom is that our life is not our own. I never want my children to die, but I want to teach my children that there's a bigger, better eternity and don't love your life under the death. Because what happens when you love your life under the death, it becomes all about you and then fear comes in and then you're always thinking about protecting and preserving yourself. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't protect yourself. I've told you guys that. I'm not anti-gun. I have guns. But if you don't use them properly and right for the right reasons, you will either get shot, killed, or be in jail yourself. Guns don't save you. Jesus does. But Jesus teaches you how to use them right. And I should have got a big amen for that. Big amen. (laughs) And so Jesus holds the keys to Hades and death, which means you don't have to be afraid. The last thing you should do is live in fear. Okay? But I am going to tell you right now, we have a serious problem with our education system. And we have people and leaders and school boards and superintendents and a national education system that's gone awry. That's allowed demonic agendas into the school. My best thing that I can tell you is do something about it. And I don't know what that is. You're going to have to get the key for yourself. God, what's my key? Am I supposed to homeschool? Am I supposed to go to a different school? And I genuinely believe we should be protecting our children at our schools at all cost. At all cost. All of our schools should be protected. What happened there was a tragedy. There were a lot of errors that never should have happened, right? And so Jesus holds the keys. Do you know what? Another great word for Hades is not hell. It's unseen places, unseen realms. So there's these, all these unseen realms. There's all these unseen, there's actually heavenly realms. That's what we talked about last week. So I want you to go look at that. So Jesus holds the key to the unseen realms. The key of David is now the keys of Jesus. We have to learn to commune, discern, see, feel, sense, discover in every situation. God has an answer for everything. Let's say that God has an answer for everything. God has a key for every situation. So we have to go from beyond the, bo- from the bottle to the meat. In Ephesians 1.3, God says, I have all these spiritual blessings for you in heavenly places. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle a couple more spiritual blessings for you, probably what I think is so critical to the heavenly place reality at the top. The easiest for, you all, for us all to understand the easiest. In Ephesians 2, 6, and 7, it says, God raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Why? That in the ages to come, the age now, we would show the exceeding riches of his kindness and his grace and his mercy. The exceeding riches of his grace and kindness. So there's these riches there that we grab a hold of that we bring now to earth. I talked about that last week. But you need it for yourself. You need the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness for yourself. Kingdom, the word kingdom means the king's domain. When you give your life to Christ, you come into the king's domain. You're now in the king's domain. 
Not yours anymore, his. Not the devil's anymore, his. Right? And so probably the greatest reality to conclude for this part, I may do heavenly places again, but to conclude heavenly places for you, and what I really want to show you today, and then we're going to worship and pray, is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have the highest, the greatest, the chief highest ruler, the number one advocate, See, a high priest was always designed not to just take care of the temple, but to be an advocate on your behalf. But the problem was the high priest of the Old Testament could never fully sacrifice or accomplish what Jesus accomplished. So they'd have to do it every year. And if they didn't cover themselves in the sacrifice of the bull, then when they went into the Holy of Holies and their heart wasn't right, they would die. But now, because of the sacrifice of one man, once and for all, forever, you have access to the throne. And the Bible says, seeing then that you have a high priest, the number one head honcho, the main right-hand guy, the one for all, the number one advocate who passed through where? He went through where? Why? No one could stop him. So he just demolished the, the demonic rulers and principalities and went above it. So he went above it. And because he went there, what did he do? He took the blood that was shed at the cross and then he sprinkled in heaven the house of God, the temple, the ark, the bemis, I'm sorry, the mercy seat, not made by hands on your behalf to give you access. And he says, I understand. You, whatever you're going through, he understands. Now, he may not have had the same situations because of technology, but he struggled with the same in all points. He was tempted in any temptation you can think of that you're going through or struggle or challenge, he faced it. But he overcame it for you. And now he says, because I've been through it, I can sympathize with you. He's sympathetic. Let's say that. He's sympathetic. sympathetic. He's compassionate. So why ever in worship or coming to the throne would we ever sit back and pull back? I don't understand. Cry out. You need it. Do you need help now? Yes. There's never a time you don't need help. And most people don't understand what grace and mercy really means. So I'm going to give you a definition and then we're going to cry out for it. Here's some definitions of grace. It's the word charis in the Greek. It means divine influence upon your soul. Everybody say divine influence. Say empowerment. For what? To strengthen you, to fulfill you, to comfort you, to empower you, to live. You can't even, you're not even saved without grace. You're saved by grace. So God comes and says, you can't do this on your own. Bam, I'm going to invade your space and I'm going to put divine influence on your mind. I'm going to put divine influence on your heart. And I say, whatever it takes, God, bring the grace to, your, to my mind wash my brain, brainwash me, God, to get all the junk and the residue. I need grace. I need grace so desperately. Grace is God's divine influence upon your life. You can't do it without grace. Grace is to this, this knowledge and affection that kindles the fire of your life to exercise Christian virtue. It's governing power. Everybody say governing power. I call it the governing power of grace. It's God's government in my life. It's grace. It empowers me, fills me, brings me joy, brings me life. It makes me grateful and thankful. All this is rooted. It's exceeding joy and gratefulness and good wealth. Good wealth. It's help. And so think about this. Paul gets a messenger of Satan. Here's something that'll blow your mind. Satan is, rip, is coming at me, thorn in my flesh. God, please God, take it away. Please, God, please, God, take it away. And God says, I'm not going to take it away. Stop crying out for me to take it away. Instead, cry out for grace and help in the midst of your weakness. Why? It's not because God wants to leave you buffeted by Satan or his minions. He wants to show you only my grace can drive it back. You have to learn the power of grace in your life. You can't do this in your own strength. That's why he says, my grace is sufficient. Sufficiency means it's enough. It's all you need. 
but you're trying to get your angles and your stuff from earth. And God says, no, you got to get my grace. That's why suffering, hardship, it's all has a design. What's the design? He's like, man, I'm combusting. I'm like, oh man, people don't like it when I say it anymore. But when I smile big, it somehow brings them comfort. They're like, man, the devil's kicking my crack. I said, God's closer than he's ever been. You should rejoice. And they're like, no, it doesn't mean I don't weep with them, cry. It depends on the situation. But in general, any hard situation that you're facing, I always see the presence of God in it. Because why? Because I understand grace. It's actually God's kindness and love. The springs are popping because God's looking at you. God's looking at you. And we want to blame everybody else. If the more you blame Biden, President Biden, the more you blame the White House, and the more you're focused on gas prices and deaths and shooting and polarization, the more that you're going to miss that God wants to do something and you tag your it. That's why I say I live in the most exciting times. It's sad, but you know what? The kingdom of God is like children crying out in the marketplace and they're singing and playing a blues song and we're crying. It doesn't actually say that. It says, and nobody's crying, but I'm crying. Are you crying? And then he says, and then they played the flute and nobody danced. Why? Because we live in the tension. We live in the tension of people dying, not just physically through guns and tragedies, but dying spiritually. And we should be weeping and playing a blues song. And you should be crying. And then I'll play the flute because I know there's a wedding coming. And you're invited to the wedding. You're invited. Who wants to go? It'll be the best buffet you ever had. I'm telling you, the buffet in heaven's going to rock your world. It's going to blow out the China buffet. It's going to blow it out. Yeah, the China buffet blows you out. God will blow you, blow out you. <laughs> I better wrap this up fast okay my point was there's a wedding let's sing the blues and and play wedding songs got that guys guys listen blues I want blues you don't have to give me now but I want blues and I want wedding songs. And I want you to cry out where? Not just here. It says the marketplace. Why? Children, wisdom's justified by her children and children cry out. The problem was in Jesus' day, no one was crying and no one was looking for a wedding feast. You better get the right clothes on. I'm telling you right now, do not play with your life. Get on the wedding list. Give your life to Jesus. Surrender all. And he puts you in the Lamb's book of life. And then get dressed. Because you don't get, nobody gets to crash that wedding. There's no wedding crashers. I'm telling you. So what's it say? I'm going to finish this and we're going to pray. He says in Hebrews 4, come boldly. He says, Jesus was tempted yet without sin. He said, because of Jesus, you can come how? So help me understand boldly. Uh, what, what, what enables you to be more bolder to go to the throne? Because you were good yesterday. Then what about tomorrow when you're not? You're going to come in and be sheepish? We let shame and victim, and I get it. Some of y'all are living like the devil. Full-scale sin, shacking up, rocking the boots, and then partying at the club, and you come right on in. But you know what? Keep coming in. Because I did it once. But at some point, I had to say enough. And I'm going to challenge you all to say enough now, because when you shack up, you crack up. You don't break God's laws, they break you. I love you. I'll keep resting you out, but how much more broken do you have to become? So how many of you need help? You know who needs the most help? Really all of us. But if you're that other class of people I just said, you should be desperate. I'm going to tell you where you should be right up here. And the way that you get access to the throne, think about it. He says to come boldly where? Where should you go boldly? Okay, how? 
through, first through Jesus. But I'm going to show you the best way to get to the throne. Mercy, God, have mercy. Lord, I, the minute that I stop crying out for grace and mercy is the minute this church has a problem. I need it as much as you do. And I cry out for it. This whole church from front to back when you walk in, you know my biggest pet peeve is when people come in in shame and fold their arms and here we are in worship before the King of Kings and we're apathetic and you sit back and I'm going to tell you, I don't care where you went and what you did, get your hands up and stand up and worship the Lord because he made a way no matter what. Isn't that amazing? Because if he didn't, I'd say, listen, y'all, you sinners, get out. And when you get your life right, come back. Isn't that so idiotic to just say it? But that's the way we act. We don't say, man, check your sin, sin check at the door. Oh, you are, ba- you are bad. You're going to need to wait out here. So we're going to cry out for mercy and grace right now. You know why? Because you need it in the help. You need it for help in the time of need. You need empowerment. And I didn't even get to mercy. Mercy is leniency. It's clemency. You know what clemency is? I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to have leniency on you. You really bombed it yesterday. You spoke to your kids the way you said to your husband, what you did with your wife, what you posted on Facebook. I don't know what it is. I really, you deserved the cross. This is the thing about mercy and the mercy seat. He took it for you. He did it for you. You don't have to cut yourself. You don't have to do anything but surrender now. God has mercy and there's a mercy seat. May I'll teach you about the mercy seat more. Exodus 25. Cherubim promises under the seat the lid the manna the golden bowl of manna the 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 two tablets with the handwriting the the commandments Aaron's rod the only way you get to those things is through the mercy seat think about it there's a throne in heaven and the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice go to the throne folks Right now, right now, let's all stand.